You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So there's a lot going on. One, we released our Realms and Dimensions Unsealed course at the Bride Ministries Institute. And for those of you that are ready for it, it is ready for you. There's an upcoming conference that I'm going to be speaking at, and it is the Embassy International Fellowship 11th Annual Holy Convocation. They're going to be meeting in Oklahoma City on May 29th to June 2nd. Um, I will be speaking on Thursday and Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. doing workshops, and there'll be other speakers during the evenings throughout. And so uh, I'm going to be there, and if you guys that are listening to this podcast and enjoy our ministry uh, want to catch me live and aren't too far away, I encourage you to be there. Uh, You can find information at more info at embassyfellowship.org or by calling 405-208-4408. Now, uh, the information I just quoted to you is also on the front page of our website, brideministriesinternational.com. I am really looking forward to our upcoming Bride Tribe Advance, which is happening a week from now. Wow. For all of you that connect with us and are part of the Bride Tribe and planning to be there, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, giving you a hug and shaking your hand and so on and so forth, and my wife as well. And we're we're just so excited about this upcoming thing. And and for those of you that want to know more about fellowship opportunities at Bride Ministries, be sure to come to the Bride Ministries Church every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's where we give out the announcements of how to sign up for stuff, how to join uh, our our audit courses for community building that are based on the Bride Ministries um, Institute courses. Uh, we, we we just have a lot going on. And so, um, but that's where you connect, the Bride Ministries Church. Now, with that said, thank you for those of you that continue to support us financially. Right now, my my, my big next step heartbeat uh, is, is to create a DID mentorship program. That's what I'm working on. That's what I'm working on. In addition to the Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, Volume 2. But we are looking to expand the breadth of our offerings insofar as solutions for survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control agendas. Um, The incoming is just intense, and we are trying to expand. So, that is really big on my heart for the next several months. That's what I'm going to be working on behind the scenes. Other than that, you know, as you support us, you are continuing to support this podcast, the Bride Ministries Church, and all of the many other exploits that we involve ourselves in, including the support of survivors with coaching scholarships. And so just visit us at brideministriesinternational.com. Other than that, we have an incredible program for you this week. I will be introducing you to a guest I have not had on in the past, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall.
Folks, we are back for another week of Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I'm very excited to introduce you to a really, really lovely woman who I have not had on the podcast prior to today. Her name is Dr. Gail Rogers, and she is a mental health professional integrating a clinical therapeutic approach using cognitive behavioral therapy along with the healing power of God's word. Uh, she is an expert in post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety. She works with some personality disorders, sexual trauma, and domestic violence, and is clinically certified as a treatment specialist in both domestic violence and sexual offense. She is the founder and president of Forever Free Incorporated and the ACE Network, and holds a master's of psychology and a PhD in women's studies. Now, you can find her at drgale.com, and we are going to be talking about uh, this book, which she wrote, called The Whole Soul, Rescripting Your Life for Personal Transformation. Dr. Gail, welcome to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Well, um, I, I, I'm really enjoying getting to know you and uh, even just the little bits of conversation we've been able to share prior to this recording. And uh, I mean, you have a fascinating story, a fascinating history. You're an overcomer in so many ways. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you ultimately wound up helping people through counseling? Okay. Interestingly, Dan, I'd never in my wildest dreams had I thought about being a counselor or a minister <laughs> For that matter, my brother was the pastor in our family, and uh, I was perfectly happy to, to be under his leadership. But I came from a background of alcoholic parents. Um, in fact, my father died as an alcoholic. My mom got saved, accepted Christ, when I was 11, my dad had already left. He, she raised us, my brother and, and myself, and my dad left when I was five. So it was very interesting. I was at a deliverance conference with Darth Wagner and Chuck Pierce, and they had a deliverance manual. And the question in the deliverance manual said, um, how much do you love your dad? Or, or, or do you or did you love your father? And I wrote, answered and I said I loved him very much and immediately Holy Spirit said to me how do you know and I'm like he was my dad and Holy Spirit said he left when you were five so how do you know you loved him you only saw him four or five times for the rest of his life and um, so he absolved himself from any parental responsibilities he absolved himself and 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 my parents were always involved in domestic violence. Didn't know it at that time. But mm. um, so I was raised in, in this kind of environment. So now my mom is saved. My dad is not there. And, uh, and, and we're now having to go to church seven days a week. Uh, you know, back then it was missions and prayer meeting and choir rehearsal and Bible study and all of that. And so we're now in church. And I sort of grew up, rebellious. Uh, you know, I started drinking at age 13. And it was interesting to me, it felt good. 
and it, you know, I no longer had to, uh, for whatever reason, I was pretending to be somebody else or just a mask or, or whatever. And so I started drinking, um, didn't realize that well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, after years and years and marriage and two children, and, and, and so I realized I was a social alcoholic. Uh, you know, and and uh, and one day I heard someone say, um, "Adults of alcoholic parents," and I go, "Well, that's me." And mm -hmm. so, you know, I I exhibited all the characteristics. I was a people pleaser. Um, I was always on the outside, uh, looking in, trying to fit. And I I still kind of try to fit. I you know are not. Um, and, and, and so, <laughs> wait, what does that mean? You try to fit or not? Is that I like know. the rebellion coming back? <laughs> That's like, you know what, really, do I need to fit? No, it's okay. okay. Um, and how I got involved in, in counseling is that is, is so my teenage girls would have their friends over and it started with that, you know, the friends, some would run away from home and they would come to our house. And I'd call their parents and say, you know, your kid is here, uh, but I'd be counseling them. And then I became the, um, the principal of a Christian school that my church had, zero to sixth grade. And so I, I found myself always counseling the kids. And then I started working for a group home as an administrator and, and and I was always counseling the kids. And so I thought, well, if you're going to do this, then you need to pursue some higher education. And, and that is when I decided we had foster children in our home and they had issues. And I didn't know how to deal with those issues. And so I, it's, it's like, okay, you need to learn what this means. And that's how I got into psychology uh, as I began to study and I begin to, to glean an understanding of these abused kids, sexually abused, physically abused, mentally, uh, all, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and, and, and then I realized I need to take this further. And so I was going to get a PhD in psychology. And that meant I just barely passed statistics doing the master's. And that meant I was going to have to learn some more statistics. And it's like, no, that's too hard. I don't know that I want to go this far. And I don't know that I want to devote my life to just counseling. So I began to ask the Lord, where do you want to take this? What, what, what is it? I, I'm, I'm wanting a PhD. Why am I wanting this PhD? And I had to go through that thing in my mind uh, is this trying to validate yourself? Uh, are you still on that road of trying to validate yourself? Um, but I just wanted more study. Research just intrigued me. And, uh, and so I, I discovered, uh, I was doing women's ministry, and I discovered a PhD in women's ministry, and I thought, this is absolutely perfect. You know, this gives me uh, much more or many more tools to learn how to help women. So I vacillated back between helping women, women helping children. And I was a youth director and all that stuff. And then 
I took over the women's ministry and I began to say to the Lord, but God, you call me to the kids. You call me to the, to the babies, to the children. And the Lord said to me, when you get the mothers straight, they will take care of their children. Mm, that's deep. Uh, and, and so that's how I sort of moved from the children over into women's ministry. Uh, and again, uh, people just started gravitating to me. God would send people to me and I, I'd practice on them. Well, have you thought about this? You know, have you done this? Uh, and so after I got the degree, it just seemed a natural move to, to move in that direction. And it's, it's, it still fascinates me that the human mind has all these things limiting people to literally walk in their God-given purpose. And so my ministry, Forever Free, I, I, I did a, a meeting once and we called the people up for prayer and it was, a, it, was on, it was about sexual trauma. And I saw all these people going up for prayer, a lot of men. And so I thought, wow, all these men um, have been sex abusers and Holy Spirit said, no, uh, they're the perpetrators. And, uh, and so, you know, then God sent me on a journey uh, to learn how to work with offenders. So I not only have worked with victims, but I've worked with the offenders, juvenile sex offenders, 85-year-old men sex offenders. Uh, and so God trained me along that way. And what he wanted me to see was I need you to see the other side. That is... Uh you know, a, a real tough conversation to breach when you are talking to individuals that see themselves as only the victims. Um, yeah. uh, certain people, I mean, really, you know, you begin to talk about, and, and I've even noticed that, that working with people with the satanic ritual abuse background, it's always the memories of, you know, being victimized that come forward first but then after there's a certain understanding of God's view of the perpetrator, then the memories of what they had to perpetrate have permission to come forward. Typically, there's both going on in there. Now, uh, I've had to come to my own balanced view of, you know, the, 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 the victim and the perpetrator in any kind of crime and, and, and uh, offense and abuse situation. But what's some of the wisdom that God has walked you out into in this? Because I find this intriguing that you brought it up. And, and I just want to let you talk about it. Like, how do you view perpetrators at this point in, in, in your walk with God? Well, I had to learn to recognize that God loved them too. Mm that he, he, he had a, a healing um, anointing for the victims, but I had to realize, and so when I started running groups, I was running four adult sex offender groups and four um, uh, youth sex offender groups. And so, I, so the first thing was, as I listened to them, um, I recognized, oh my God, God loves them too. Cause in my mind, you're just a perpetrator. You're just, you're just a dirty guy or, or female, whoever was doing the perpetrating. 
you know, and, and, and you don't like people and you don't like yourself. And so you're hurting these women. And especially when I looked at one out of three females are perpetrated against before they reach the age of 18 and one out of five guys. And I'm looking, wow. And then of course, the whole thing back almost what, 20 years ago that the whole Catholic, uh, you know, priest uh, that, that was coming out that what they were doing to the boys. So when I looked at them and I would hear these stories, I would hear, um, well, my mother um, sexually abused me when I was three or when I was five. Um, and so, and, and, and one of the things that these guys would have to do, they would be sent to group by the judge. Uh, and one of the things that they would have to do at the end of their 36 months or whatever uh, assignment that they had to the group, they had to write a letter asking the victim to forgive them. They wouldn't send it, but they would have to write the letter and then they would have to read it to the group. And it was amazing to me how many guys would break down and sob and say, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that this literally was going to ruin your life. Uh, you know, and of course, there were some people, one guy I remember distinctly saying, I was raised by a bunch of guys, brothers and uncles. And, and he said, and for them, they raped women all the time. They thought that was just what they were supposed to do. And so he raped a number of victims. And he said, I didn't learn until I was in prison. He got a 10-year sentence. I didn't learn until I was in prison that what I did was wrong. So, so not only now are they realizing what they did was wrong, but, but they're having to repent and, and having to say, and then they're having to deal with the guilt. Uh, you know, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I actually did that to my seven-year-old granddaughter. My gosh. So um, watching them and, and knowing and understanding and, you know, I remember one guy, I went to visit him after he had been sentenced to prison, and I just went to minister to him. And um, when he was coming to sit down, he said to me, or Holy Spirit said to me, um, that's what a pedophile looks like. Mm. Um, now, I'd worked with pedophiles, and I knew what they looked like from a physical perspective. But Holy Spirit showed it to me on a spiritual realm. And so I have a tendency to, I recognize abusers. I, I recognize the spirit. You know, I'd say to my granddaughter all the time, I want you to be very careful. She's turning 16 now. And she goes, oh, Grandma, I, 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 I know what a pedophile looks like. No, you don't. Because they look like pastors and teachers, and professors, and policemen. And, uh, and so working with this clientele, God just taught me step by step how to understand both sides. Wow. Uh, and, and, and that gets deep. So um, now you're telling us about how you came into all this stuff. You were working on your PhD. You got your PhD in women's studies. Now, how old were you when you finally finished the PhD? I was 58. My goodness. 
I was 58, raising four grandchildren, working for the government, traveling on the road about 50, sometimes 60 hours a week, talking to my grandkids on school, doing my coursework, my research in the hotel room at, at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, needed to be up for work at 5 in the morning. So nobody can tell me I don't have time. I'm too old. <laughs> I don't have the money. I was 58. And then what's interesting, I was in the classroom training and had a webinar meeting with my professors and my team. And I said to my classroom, I'm sorry, but I got to go for lunch. I'm going to be an hour in this webinar uh, and, and to see if they're going to confer their, the PhD on me. So when I came back to class, I said, you guys now have to congratulate Dr. Gail Rogers, 58 years old. So, and believe it or not, I really would like to do another PhD. No. Well, my attitude is because I love studying and I love researching, and if I'm going to do it, I might as well get something that goes with it. Now, my question is, when did you start working on this book? I started writing The Whole Soul around 2004, mm. 2000, 2004, 2005. No, my other book came out in 2004. Uh, I have another book that is Healing the Traumatized Soul. Okay. And it's case studies of the sexual, the healed sexually abused women. So I started writing this. Uh, it was published in 2014, so about 2007. Um, and the reason I started writing it is because most of my clients come out of a church environment. And so when they come to me and they tell me their stories, they tell me their, their history, um, I say to them, well, what did your pastor say? Did you go, do they have a counseling team at church? Did you go to your pastor? Well, you know, my pastor just said, get over it. Uh, and, you know, my pastor would say, well, you just need to renew your mind. And so I began to ask the question, well, how do you renew your mind? And, and uh, every time I would ask a believer, how do you renew your mind? They would say to me, well, you get in the presence of God, you read your Bible, you pray, and you just stay in the presence of God, and you'll be transformed. And my thinking at that time, I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. My thinking at that time was, but I've been walking with the Lord all these years, and I don't know that my mind is renewed. I still got these negative thoughts. Uh, and so I started wondering about thoughts. Why are we thinking the way that we think? We're walking with God. We have intimacy with God. And yet we still have these thoughts. I'm not worthy. Nobody likes me. I'll never be successful. I'm too ugly. I'm too fat. I'm whatever. I don't have enough money. And so that is what caused me to go on this journey of understanding thoughts mm -hmm. and how critical they, they are. I've been trying or changing my words, my language for over 30 years. Actually, 
as long as my husband and I've been married, and that's 37 years. And we learned that stuff in the Amway business. And so I was constantly saying, don't say that. Don't put that out there. Don't, you know, don't say that. Don't say I laughed myself crazy. Don't say I could have died, you know. And so I had been practicing on, on how to say things, but it never occurred to me that what's in my thoughts, what's in my mind, what's in my heart is going to come out of my mouth. And when I begin to study thought patterns, uh, it, oh my God, it led me to a seven-year journey of writing. The more I researched, the more I begin to understand. And then, of course, the Bible is full of scriptures about thinking, you know, cast down every evil imagination. I had to study that and study that and study that and say, how do, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we take control right. of every evil imagination? How do we do that? And I had, to, I had to learn that in order to be able to teach it. Well, you put together a lot of uh, really interesting thoughts. And I, I, I appreciate a lot of the subjects that your book uh, covered uh, because you get into all kinds of things from DNA to frequency and, of course, the subconscious mind. Now, what was your introduction to considering the subconscious mind and its influence over our behaviors? Isn't it interesting, uh, Daniel, that we often say, well, subconsciously I thought. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously. And so I started wondering, well, what does subconsciously mean? And, and I was teaching about the subconscious. And one day I said to Holy Spirit, if I'm going to teach this stuff, invariably someone uh, in this workshop is going to say, well, Dr. Gale, where do you find subconscious in the Bible? <laughs> and I said, God, you're going to have to show me this. And so another journey, and he began to show me um, inner man. And as he began, one of the synonyms for inner man was subconscious. And it's like, I got it. I got it. And then the more I studied, I began to understand all the stuff. I um, liken it to a, um, an iceberg. If we, you look at an iceberg, that you know, just a small part of it is on the top of the water, and the rest goes very, very deep. Well, when I started thinking about, hmm, they say that we humans only use 10% of our brain, 10% of the conscious mind. And I'm thinking, why would God make us? Why would he create us and only give us 10% capacity? So where's the rest of it? And that's when I begin to delve deep into all this stuff uh, that's stored in our subconscious and what does that mean? And that's what happens. And I'm sure you, you um, teach this as well. And definitely with your clients uh, that's gone through SRA uh, is that all this stuff that's buried or even a DID person when they break away, when that part of the brain breaks away uh, because they can't tolerate the pain uh, with what has happened to them. Uh, and, and so, and all of that is, is, is stored 
deep down in our psyche and little things happen to trigger it. All of a sudden you're cussing somebody out, you know, cause they touched you on your, sho your shoulder and you're going, you know, don't touch me. Well, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. or, or in the case where I remember a client that um, really freaked out in the car with her mother uh, her, one day and they're driving down the highway and, and her mother kept saying, what happened? And uh, she saw a policeman on a motorcycle and all she saw was his boots. And she remembered how this friend of the family police officer used to come and get her and take her to the park and he would rape her. And so when she saw this motorcycle cop with the boots, and it had been 15 years prior. She literally, and she probably had, now that I think about it, many, many altars. I know she had a few. Um, so that's how, that's what brought me into learning and understanding what is God doing with the subconscious mind? What is God saying to the inner man? What, 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 what's going on here? And so that's, that's kind of my introduction. That's so good. And I mean, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I could sit here and just rattle on for an hour in response to the few things you just said. <laughs> but the, the truth is the subconscious mind has incredible capacity. Yeah. That's far superior, I think, to what we navigate out of in our conscious mind. Um, for instance, you know, one of the things that I, I, I have noted is that a person, you know, you say, all right, sit down on this drum set and play four different rhythms. Play one rhythm with your right foot, one rhythm with your left foot, one rhythm with your left hand, one rhythm with your right hand. Go. And yeah, it, it, it actually is just one, like their brain doesn't split in four directions and allow the limbs to operate independently until they're trained. You have to actually do a lot of practice to, you know, play certain rhythms and split the mind in four directions at once consciously. But I meet survivors all the time that have 10, 20, 100, 300, 1,000 different altars. And all of these parts of their humanity have their own opinions, their own history, and even their own set of experiences um, in, in the subconscious realm where we find their inner worlds. So I can talk to one part and they can say, yeah, well, last week, you know, this entity came in and this is what they did. And I could talk to another part and they were just swinging on a swing on the other side of the inner world and they didn't know anything about it. And it's like, how many directions are you processing information in? Because at the core, you're one human, yet this is all subconscious and it's natural Meanwhile, at the surface, we struggle to play four rhythms with our limbs. And so, you know, that just gives us a, like a little window into the power, the extraordinary capacity of the subconscious mind, just from observation. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, likening it to the computer, what, what I saw is that all of the things that the computer does that's man-made, and yet God made this brain yes. and, and everything. And so it's, 
that's when I, when I think about the capacity and I begin to say to the Lord, I don't want to use 10% of my brain. I want to use, you know, it's, it's like, it's like receiving the baptism of Holy Spirit. I don't, I want everything. If you, you sent me to the earth to do a job, I want to be able to do it with everything that's in me. I don't want to do it half-heartedly. I don't want to do it with just a piece of my brain. I want to do it. So all of that stuff that's in the subconscious. So, so I speak to my subconscious. I talk to my subconscious when I go to bed at night. I speak to it when I get up in the morning. Subconscious, do what you're supposed to do. Subconscious, bring me into this reality of what it is that I'm seeking. And I prophesied to it. <laughs> that is so good. On that subject, uh, Dr. Gale, what are thought vibrations? Well, funny you should ask that question, Daniel. I, um, I was reading Genesis 1-2, and it talks about the spirit of the Lord hovering over the deep. And so when I went on this journey of understanding hovering or brooding, one of its words is vibration. So if since the spirit of the Lord vibrated over the, the deep at the very beginning, and you look at what's, what exists in our bodies, you know, everything that exists is matter and it has energy. And so when I begin to look at our thoughts, I begin to see that our thoughts carry these vibrations. One of the things that I can say about that is that victims automatically attract perpetrators. It's almost like there's a magnet. Mm. You know, I, in my younger days, I used to ask, Do it, does it look like I got stupid, the S on my forehead, because I always attracted the wrong guys. Um, but so victims uh, that are victimized, they automatically attract perpetrators. Perpetrators are looking for victims. And so it's like a magnet that draws them together. Well, when I begin to look at, at vibrations and I begin to look at frequencies and, and we all have certain frequencies in our body. So and when I studied is that, um, you know, there's something that's here scientifically that's called an assemblage point. And if the assemblage point is balanced, and everything in us is balanced. We're in a, a homeostasis position that we're balanced. You know, we're eating good. We're doing all the right things. And so then everything is, is at a balanced level. But depression causes this. PTSD causes this. Anxiety causes this. And so as we begin to go, the, the, the assemblage point begins to tilt. That's when we can tell something is wrong. You and I were talking earlier about uh, talking to people and hearing what they're saying and, and recognizing what's going on. So, so the vibrations 
um, and the frequencies, they go together and you just begin to see our thoughts vibrate. It's, it's, and I love it. Now, when I was in psychology, uh, uh, they used to teach something called telepathic thoughts. Well, Christians don't believe in none of that. You know, it's like, eh, yeah, that's a bunch of psycho babble. However, I could be sitting here thinking about someone and my phone will ring. And I pick it up and go, hi, you wouldn't believe I was, your name just came out of my mouth. Mm. And so we've got these, we're sending out these telepathic waves or vibrations and Holy Spirit is the one that initiate the vibrations initiated in the beginning of time. And then when you look at um, Ezekiel, the dry bones, well, okay. there's, there, at one point it says, and the bones begin to shake and they begin to rattle. When you research it, the bones begin to vibrate. And as the vibration, all of that energy and all of that vibration begin to come together and the bones came together, that was healing. So there's the frequencies and the energy in our hand. When Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they will recover, you know, and so we lay hands, there's something that's transmitted. Well, it's a vibrational transmission. Does that make sense? Well, and you even uh, see this, you know, in, in prayer, I mean, sometimes when the power of God really begins to hit an individual, and I know that I'm one of them that's been hit by the power of God, it's like you begin to vibrate. It's like your whole body is like, oh my gosh, you know, and sometimes you might even fall over. But, they, but when the power is there, uh, it, it creates like a, a vibration. Uh, you, you could call it shuddering. Like I was shuddering under the power of God, but you're vibrating. Right. Um, and that, that, that's a real thing. I mean, and, and you do bring up a lot of uh, other I, I, you know, thoughts, which I know that everyone that's listening to you can say, you know, Dr. Gale, that's happened to me on at least one or two occasions where I'm thinking about someone. The next thing I know, they're calling me because this, this kind of phenomenon really does happen. And it really it's relatively commonplace. I mean, it's not like that extraordinary when it happens. It's like, oh, I was just thinking about you. And, and people that we're especially connected with, it's like more often. It's like, it, it, it's more often that my mom is thinking about me, like my mom, and I give her a phone call than, you know, some random person because there's that, 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 that bond of, of, of family and relationship. So there's a mm -hmm. stronger connection with some of these folks, at least in my opinion. Well, I woke up yesterday thinking very strongly about someone that I hadn't spoken with in a while. Um, just really thinking about this person, a person that I love dearly and um, hadn't talked with her. And she was on the last two or three years doing her own thing. And I'm sitting in church and I hear a beep and she texts me in church. And she goes, I'm at church. And I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking Dr. G would understand exactly what I'm thinking that's going on right here. And I just started laughing. I, you know, I thought, God, he does it to us all the time. So 
It's but this really is um, this actually lends itself into a whole other category. It's very fascinating, um, like the dangers of envy and jealousy. Oh wow! And I believe that uh, Arthur Burke actually talks about this. Um, but when people are in extraordinary jealousy and envy, and they focus very intentional negative thoughts on a person continually for hours a day. It's almost like they unlock a demonic power it, that there begins to open up an, uh, an opposition to the person's life that they are focusing all of their negativity on. Right. And um, I, I, I believe that that's a type of witchcraft personally, but it, it, again, we're talking about thought vibrations. Yes, yes. And that is why when the Bible talks about guard your heart, I am mm-hmm. very, very careful about guarding my heart. And I can feel the daggers. I, I, I know what the daggers of jealousy feels like. I, I recognize the spirit. So you can recognize some of those spirits. Initially, you may not think about what's going on, but something is happening and you're feeling an oppression. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, and so it's it's imperative that we guard our heart. It's imperative that we guard, because invariably whatever they're thinking is actually flowing out into the atmosphere. And if we get in that atmosphere, you know, Daniel, it's like walking into a room, and, and I know you've said this before, you walk into the room and you go, oh, these vibes don't feel good. Oh, come on now. You know, we didn't know we were talking about vibrations, but these vibes don't feel good. Or you sit down beside someone and you go, oh, wow, she just took an instant dislike to me. Really? And, and so, you know, they're real. This is really fascinating stuff. Okay, now I want to ask you, what is the connection between DNA and frequency? Well, I think when we look at DNA and we look at, at all that, you know, they really didn't even begin to introduce DNA where we begin to understand anything about it until the late 50s and, and 1950s and 60s. And uh, DNA being that helix form uh, that's in our body, and each of us have a DNA. And so when you look at it, it's, it's, it's living, it's, it's alive. And so uh, it's where we get mm-hmm. our, uh, much of our, our uh, characteristics from our mother and from our father. Um, and there's, it's very interesting. There is a difference in, and I'm still trying to, wrap my mind around this is that we take on the DNA uh, of God once we come into the knowledge and revelation of Jesus and and we take on that DNA. And so I was listening to a message not long ago and he was talking about we come through our parents, but we come from God. And so, so there's this DNA that's in us and again, the frequencies and the vibrational frequencies that we just talked about. And so uh, you and I talked a little bit about bloodline stuff, is that there's all this 
stuff running through the bloodline. And so as we look at it and we talk about it, uh, the DNA is directly uh, uh, related uh, because we're in a state of vibrating all the time. You know, whether we're vibrating on a high frequency or a low frequency, uh, but as you tie it together and look at, uh, we're, we're literally tied together. And what's interesting about DNA is that um, as fascinating as it is, there's only 1% of all of our DNAs that's literally different from everybody else's. Hmm. And yet we're all very, very different. So it's fascinating. Uh, it is. Yes. Wow. Um, okay. So in your book, as you're talking about, you know, DNA, you're making some of these connections, you, you get into something you call the DNA power gene. What is that? I love that. It is the point that I recognized, Jesus, you died for me. Hmm. I know, yes, I understand you died for the whole world, but Jesus, you died for me. And it was the moment of awakening, of understanding all of this power inside of me because his DNA is in me. His spirit is in me. And so I call it the DNA power gene because it's like, you know, all these years we talk about, well, you know, my mom was this and so therefore I'm that. So, you know, I inherited my mom's genes. Well, when you come into the realization and the fullest extent of understanding who you are, all of a sudden I thought, hmm, you died for me. You literally mm -hmm. sent me to the earth to do an assignment. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just born to my parents. You know, I understand all of the physical, natural stuff, but God, I was with you in the beginning because I'm a spirit. So if I was with you in the beginning, you sent me to the earth to do a job. You fully equipped me to do the assignment that you sent me here. And I, here I am trying to do everybody else's assignment. You know, I'm, we're all trying to emulate somebody else. Okay, well, you know, so-and-so does it this way and so-and-so does it that way. But when I came into the realization of my identity, because I've been studying identity for years and thought I had an understanding, didn't get the understanding. It was almost like a, a click, like an, a, a door unlocking. And, and the power gene that is who Jesus is, I now understand it. And so, you know, I, I, I thought of the, that's what it meant to me. I'd never heard it described by anybody, but I came into, at long last, my authentic identity. 
and understanding. So I don't get um, disturbed when my prayers are not answered. Because the bottom line is obviously I wouldn't that wasn't meant for me. So so if if whatever's going on and I'm asking God for something, if I'm supposed to have it, then it's automatically there. Because the finished work is already done. And because I got his genes, his mm-hmm. DNA, his spirit, all of that, the kingdom lives here. That whole realm of royalty, that gene lives here. It's in me. So I got authority to go out and do whatever it is that I think I'm supposed to do. I got authority. And if I'm not supposed to do it, you know, God will say, stop. Don't go any further. And so I... I just believe that all of that power is in each of us if we could get to that point. It's, isn't it amazing to you how folks listen to the lies of the devil and they actually believe them? <laughs> they actually, you're, you're worthless. For real? I got the power of God in me. So how do I say, huh, I'm worthless? Nobody cares about me. They really don't love me. How do I say that? Well, and I will say this, Dr. Gale, so much bondage, striving, um, patterns of failure and so forth come to a point of resolution when identity in Christ is fully embraced. Absolutely. Absolutely. A, a person can get 20 deliverance prayers, but the day that there is a full embracing of identity on that issue, there is typically, the, the, that's the, the biggest breakthrough. And praise God when it can come along with the deliverance prayer. But there are people that pray deliverance prayers for the past 10 years, and you know some of them. Oh, yeah. They're still tripping on the same logs. Yes. It's a big deal. So you're saying that the DNA power gene is something that God has put inside of us mm-hmm. as his children. Mm-hmm. Yes. Powerful. And every one of us got it. And, and in my book, I talk about how could somebody have known about this and didn't tell me about it? You know, how, how come someone didn't say, you know, you got the power of God in you? Well, they did. But either... They didn't have a clear understanding and they were just repeating what they heard all the other preachers preach. Uh, Or I wasn't listening well. But the day that I got it, oh my God. And I said to the Lord, Father, if I am not doing my purpose on the earth, if I am not doing the destiny that you wrote about me in my books, in the courtroom, if I'm not doing that, just take me home because I'm taking up airspace on the earth. There's no point for me being here, just meandering around doing life. And life ain't all that fun if you don't know how to make it fun. If you don't know how to walk in peace, then life ain't fun because you're always anxious about something. So when I Man, when I got that power gene understanding revelation, it's like, oh no, you can, you devil, no, you can never tell me 
<laughs> that nobody likes me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, you see, they didn't recognize you. You know, they recognized all the other apostles, Dr. Gale, but they didn't recognize you. So, see, because years ago, I would have I gone home saying, wonder why they didn't recognize me. Hmm, what did I do? But, but listen, freedom ain't free. You got to work for it. You got to go after it. And when I discovered, because I've been in bondage most of my life, I'm, I, I didn't even understand that, <laughs> that I was a victim of sexual abuse until I was 50. Wow. And I just happened to be writing uh, a paper for a class called Healing Hurting Women, and I had to write a letter to the perpetrator. And I'm writing this letter, dear perpetrator, as a result of what you did to me, here's how my life turned out. And I'm sobbing. And I don't have a clue why I'm sobbing. And the Lord says to me, you're being healed from all of the years of thinking it was your fault. When I was five years old, how could it have been my fault? Wow. And, and, and so... Um, Man, this DNA power gene is so real to me and, and authentic to me that I walk in it every day. Mm. So when somebody says to me, well, you don't have any peace, it's like you out of your mind. <laughs> you, you know that song? Uh, the, the peace that you give to me, the world can't take it away. The joy that you give to me, the world can't take it away. Man, you can't steal this from me. You can't steal my identity. You can't steal my peace. You, can you, can't, you can't steal anything. You might be able to steal a little money from me, but he's going to pay that back seven times as soon as I discover the enemy. Come on. So, so I mean... I, the, the, it is very real. So talk to me now about DNA memory. Well, you know, we talked a little earlier about um, the subconscious and, and stuff that gets stored. And so when you look at the DNA, and you look at, at we, don't, we don't always remember things. And I was sharing with you about someone, or, or let's just say that someone that may have been raped and there was a certain smell, a certain scent, and they go to someone's house and it's been 30 years, but they smell that scent. I believe that the DNA carries memories of everything that's ever happened to us in life uh, because you know just because we live on the earth because there's no space or time with god just because we're we're here in this little space and time in the earth doesn't mean that only what i've learned since i've been here is all i've got i came here with memories and, and so I believe that, that God has literally uh, placed a memory bank 
within us, within the DNA, because the bottom line, wow, bottom line is this. If I got the mind of Christ and I got his DNA, then I got a bunch of stuff that's stored there. That so when I learn something new, I'm not just learning it. I knew it before I came to the earth. And so God has a tendency uh, to reveal things to us that we thought we didn't know. And it's like, oh, I'm just getting this. But it's been stored there. And I believe for the purposes, and of course, there's so much more to learn and, and understand about the DNA memories, but I just believe for the purposes of our being here on the earth, that uh, we're going to tap into whatever it is that we need. Because, you know, the Bible says that we have everything we need mm -hmm. for godliness and for us to live. And so we have everything that we already need. And we're out there externally trying to reach for it. And it's already programmed within our DNA. You know, um, one of the things that we've run into is this phenomena where, and, and this has actually happened, um, where people thought they were looking at a memory of a past lifetime and maybe they came through some new age stuff or some other kind of belief system before coming to Christ that, you know, they did a session and convinced like, oh, I had this memory of a different time to later figure out that that actually was a memory of an ancestor encoded in the DNA. That, that, that whatever they tapped into was part of their heritage going back in the ancestral line, not their past life. And uh, I, I think that when you're talking about DNA memory, I, I think there's so much more to this than has been researched or thoroughly explored. I, I, I just think that the whole conversation around DNA memory goes deep and far and vast. And uh, you know, on the subject of DNA, it's, it, our, our journey has been so interesting, Dr. Gale, because when we've gotten into some of our deep deliverance stuff, and, and I'm talking about deliverance from uh, e even land that's been defiled, uh, for instance, uh, sometimes I found that people are in bondage to the area where the rituals were done mm -hmm. on them as a child or where they were raised because in that house they were molested a bunch of times and they're like actually in bondage to the house or the or the place where the rituals were done or whatever and until we get them free of that it's like they keep getting pulled down in life because of the trauma that was experienced there and and i have a whole prayer i call it freedom from earth systems well we figured out that we had to untether the dna Mm -hmm. from the land in order to undo the defilement. I think that when we get into, you know, e even territorial work where, where we're dealing in, in, in second Chronicles type work, where God says, I will come in and I will heal your land. Like the healing of the land ministry um, often requires an untethering of DNA that's been 
uh, 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 woven or entangled with it as a result of defilement. And as people get free, land gets redeemed. And so it's like, why is it that we're always required to prey on the DNA when we're doing this kind of work? It always, 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 without fail, comes back to DNA. And I don't understand this fully, Dr. Gale. I, I don't understand all of the science behind why this happens. All I know is what works and what's getting the breakthrough. And it's all centered on the DNA. And so, um, man, oh, man, it's just the, the, the conversation on DNA for me has just gone from big to bigger to even bigger than that. And my head is still spinning. Did you read, there was an article in my book, I wrote about um, a research that was done at Emory University in Atlanta and released back in 2014. And it talked about the memories, the emotional memories of our ancestors that goes through the bloodline and it actually manifests by the fourth generation. So if you got all this stuff, uh, as you're talking about the land, uh, if you got all of this stuff that, you know, you might've been molested, my great, great, great grandfather, and yet it doesn't manifest until me. Mm-hmm. And I'm manifesting this stuff. That's why when we, when we have our clients, that's why we always go back in history and say, you know, and the person says, I, how long you been depressed? Well, you know, it seems like I've been depressed since I was about 16. Anybody else that you know of in your family that's depressed? Well, no, I had an uncle that was crazy, but, you know, he wasn't depressed. Well, let's talk about that. And as they begin to describe, well, they said that my great-great-grandfather committed suicide uh, you know, that he had, you know, whatever. And so as they, as the scientists traced it, it's like the emotional stuff, trauma shows up now in the fourth generation. And so when you look at, like you said about the, the DNA, it's such a deep, 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 deep subject of just trying to understand what it all means and how how it affects how it affects the way that we live our lives wow every day and so it's it's you know we don't read a lot do you find that 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 we read the bible but we don't do many of god's people don't do a lot of outside research you know what people said about me daniel years ago was okay, Dr. Gill, you better be careful because, you know, now you seem like you're getting into some new age stuff. Well, my basic attitude was the new agers knew to go back and study some stuff, and they did start studying some stuff. But basically, you know, they use the scripture and just about everything that they do. So I said to the Lord, protect my mind. Don't allow me to get into an area that's unsafe for me. But because, and it's, uh, you know who the scientist Bruce Lipton is? I do not. Okay. Bruce Lipton did a lot of emotional stuff. And Candace Pert on molecules of emotions and how the emotions are stored within the molecules in the body. That's why when we start doing body work, 
Uh, you know, we look at how stuff is stored all throughout the cellular system of our bodies. Uh, but Bruce Lipton, very famous scientist, that for 20 years he did all his scientific stuff and discovered, interestingly, that, that God really was real. And that because God is real, at the end of his book, I can't think of the name of his book right off the bat, but, but he does a lot of thought stuff, subconscious stuff, emotional stuff. And, and he said, um, I discovered that Christ is real for me. And, and so I, I don't think we have a tendency. We, we, we born-again believers have a tendency. Sometimes we have this tunnel vision. We have these blinders on, and we stick within the parameters of the Bible. Well, if, if it's not in the Bible, it's not so. But the bottom line is that there are some things, and that's what happened for me, is that I just went after. I just thought there's so much more, and, and I'm still going after it. Well, Dr. Gale, let me tell you. Being accused, <laughs> been there, done that. I still have the evidence on YouTube. So, you know, um, I'm right there with you. It's uh, there is a certain um, demand for ignorance that is promoted from the top levels of certain groups mm -hmm. in Christianity where there is a, a whole lot of fear and insecurity yeah. around getting outside of what's been accepted as the sum total of everything we need to know about. And so even when teaching from the Bible begins to go beyond certain comfort levels, yet it's rooted in scripture, there's a rejection of that as well and and i have totally <laughs> i mean i've been there so you know um, but i'm glad you articulated it the way you did it's um it's just very true and, and, and the truth is that god's heart is for his people to have the full breadth of tools that we need to connect with the finished work of jesus christ to live the life of abundance that we're called to live and and to demonstrate what it looks like to walk this earth as an heir of god and a co-heir with christ you know there's a there's a, a spiritual reality that is accepted by faith and then there's a demonstration most of us never get to the demonstration for various reasons and yet god you know is is wanting us to what connects us to that right and it's some of these things that we're talking about, applying them, applying the truth, uh, going deeper. I want to ask you um, about the connection, and we, we, we kind of already talked about this, but, but the connection to how you deal with addictive personality disorders, because you actually spent a, a, basically a whole chapter in your book talking about addictive personality disorders. This is something that I'd love to have you talk about because on this podcast, I really have not focused much on addiction 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and how, you know, to look at that, to understand it. To over, we, we talk a lot about dissociation. We talk a lot about deliverance. We talk a lot about inner healing. But you have a very uh, deep understanding of addictive personality disorder. I want to let you talk about that for a little bit. The deep understanding comes from dealing with my own daughter. Um, I, 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 I raised, um, once I, I got saved, my girls were, um, four and seven. And so I raised them, um, in the Bible and for whatever reason, and I'll, I'll go into that later, but, um, my daughter became addicted, um, didn't understand why, which is how I ended up raising the grandchildren for a few years, but she became addicted. And, and she was depressed and she had anxiety. Well, years ago, here's what I said to God, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. You know, now I got this, this five-year-old that I've got to raise. I'm in the height of my ministry. Um, And you know, why, why is this happening to me? Now, it's my daughter that's addicted, right? Why is this happening to me? And, and the Lord said to me, this is not about you. Um, but he also said to me, he said, she is an addict. And I said, oh, yeah, I get that. I, I understand. And he said, no. He said, she is an addict. Well, you know, I, I thought, hmm, interesting. And so I began to watch the behavior. And I would say, you just need to come out of that stuff. You need to stop doing that stuff. You need to get your life together. And that didn't happen. Um, She's been clean now for 10 years, praise God. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I began to learn as I watched her. and And I kept thinking, I don't understand. Her father is educated. I'm educated. We don't have these issues. You know, I knew that in the, in the family line that there was alcoholism, was never aware of anything else. So I began to watch the behavior. And as I started working um, with people with drug addiction, whether it was crack cocaine, whether it was alcohol, um, whether it was prescription meds or what, because my daughter went, once she was delivered from the, the crack and what's amazing to me is that she didn't go to church and go through a deliverance session one day she just decided to quit so when she says to me well mom i'm just i don't have the kind of strength that you have you're a strong woman i don't have that kind of strength and i look at her and say listen you stopped doing drugs on your own you didn't go to aa you didn't go to narcotics anonymous you know you just stopped you stop the behavior, but she still has those addictive tendencies. So it then went to the prescription meds. Um, but what I discovered through all of this, and as I was clinical director for um, a mental health facility, they, I w- didn't have a um, certification in drug therapy, but the people that were working with me. And so right next to my office, uh, you know, each uh, night they would go through the addictive behaviors and and I would listen and I would realize that 
to take a person from addiction, because here's what happens to us as Christians. For the person that comes into our churches and they're addicted and they get cleaned up, um, we go good and we put them to work immediately. And then they, they revert, they go back for whatever reason, something happened in their life, they go back. Well, for us church folks, we go, you're going to either need to get yourself together or you can't be here. And, and they don't recognize that it has to do with the chemical makeup of the brain and stuff that goes on. Because people get, I'm sure you'll understand this, people get addicted to their own maladaptive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as I follow this scenario, then I begin to follow uh, the depression that my daughter had, um, the anxiety that she had. And one day, Holy Spirit said to me, she's mentally ill. Now, I'm a therapist at that time. And he says, she's mentally ill. And I go, I, I, I know that. And he goes, no, she's depressed. And what I realized right at that moment was, you work with your clients that have these addictive personalities, and yet you tell your own daughter, get yourself together. You know, come out of it. And so, so it's very interesting that most of my experiences have always been experiential for me. It's always life experiences. But he began to, to show me all of that through her. I begin to recognize that she was addicted uh, to being depressed. And one day she said to me, my God, it was 20 years later. She said, mom, I've never told you this uh, before. She said, but I was gang raped when I was 13. Oh my. And she said, you and Ed were at an Amway meeting and, uh, and we were home. And that's when you could leave your kids at home at age 13. Um, and she said, and her best friend's boyfriend came over with his four buddies. And, and my seven-year-old was in the living room. No, she was 10 at the time. But one at a time, these guys took her back to her bedroom and they raped her. And I, I knew that at age 13, she had started acting out, but I didn't have a clue. I took her to counseling. And back then, the counselors couldn't tell the parents what was going on. So when she told me this, I knew immediately why she had become a drug addict. I knew that she was self-medicating. And so over the years, I have literally used what I saw in her to help other people understand their behaviors and how they get addicted to depression, how they get addicted to uh, whatever is going on, you know, whether it's pornography, uh, whether it's playing video games or whatever, and, and that literally that they have to learn how to change their mindset uh, to, to come out of, you know, Holy Spirit reminded me, this has been 20 years ago when I was preaching against drug addiction and I'm standing up in the pulpit preaching. Holy Spirit reminded me, well, you're addicted to sugar. Hmm. And it was like, he said, what's the difference? <sighs> 
And then as I went on this research and began to find out that sugar was more addictive than crack cocaine and more harmful to the brain. So I recognize, okay, you got to break some things. And I believe that to get free from the addictive personality, we have to break some things. We have to break some things off. We have to cut some things off. We have to break some old mindsets that this is okay. I can do this. Because when Holy Spirit told me I was addicted to sugar, it was almost like, duh. Mm. And, and, and so we got a lot of people that are addicted. And unfortunately, in our churches, we don't know how to deal with those situations unless we are actively uh, involved in community um, situations, but we don't know how to deal with them. Do you have keys after all of your observation and, and study for addictive personality people, what they can do proactively? I do. Um, when I'm talking with people, it's, it's really a matter of changing. It's really a whole lifestyle change. Mm. If you're addicted to pornography, then you don't need a computer. And, you know, when, when guys come out of prison, when sex offenders come out of prison, one of the things that they're not allowed to do is have access to Internet. Because that's a whole part of their treatment plan. And so for when I deal with people with addictive behaviors, because it could be anything. It could be spending too much money. It could be addicted to, to um, credit card spending and, and all of that stuff. So I have to walk them through um, behavioral modification and, and cognitive therapy of how you got to change the way you think about a situation. You know, one day, I, it's funny, I call one of my daughters and, and I said to her, I said, you know, I said, I recognize that when I get stressed, I eat chocolate. And I said, I just really recognize that. I say, but the other thing is I eat chocolate and I go shopping. And, and so I said, so I said, somehow I've got to stop that. Well, I had to learn how to overcome stress. And so that's what, you know, I tell people, most people that are addicted to something, it's about their inability to handle life situations. That's good. That's good. Wow. Well, Dr. Gale, this has been an extraordinarily insightful conversation. I really, really appreciate you. And folks, uh, she has this book called The Whole Soul. And there's a whole lot in there that we didn't talk about today. And so um, you can also find her at drgale.com. And that's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-G-A-Y-L-E.com. So Dr. Gale, are there any final thoughts that you wanted to share before we conclude this podcast? My final thought would be, just get free. Mm. You know, the name of the ministry, Forever Free, 
is a direct result of being at doing meetings and watching all the people that are in bondage. It's interesting that a lot of people don't even realize they are in bondage. They're in bondage to the way they think. Get free from toxic thinking. Get free from toxic relationships. You know, I've got a lot of blogs on my website that talk about uh, toxicity and contamination. Stop allowing the enemy to contaminate your mind. Um, come into the revelation of who you are in Christ. Come into that revelation. And once you come into that revelation, and really just ask the Lord, uh, for those of you that are, that are listening or watching, just ask the Lord, God, show me how to walk with the mind of Christ. Because if I can walk with the mind of Christ, if he has given us the capability, and the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, use it. Stop using your own mind. Stop living in your own flesh. Stop doing things the way you want to do them. But do them, recognize that God sent every one of us to earth for this time, stop looking at all the bad stuff that's happening around you and saying, oh my God, I can't believe all this is happening. Get your focus on who Jesus is and ride that wave until it's time to go back to be with the Lord. That is the word. Folks, that's it. We'll see you next week. Until then, God bless and God. Amen. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.